scripture reading today comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, as we continue to look at our uh, verse of the year for 2021, and uh, the, the verses and the passage uh, surrounding that will begin with verse 10. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's bow together. Lord, even as we have read these words, we would ask for your protection in these moments. The evil one cannot be happy that he is so exposed by your word and by your spirit. And so we ask for your protection, your focus upon the Lord Jesus, and we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Be seated. Well, I've never been to war, and some of you have. So I first want to thank you who have served and any of you who have uh, been to war particularly, given that sacrifice for our freedoms. I and we are indebted to you. I was reading this week about those who do the strategy work, those who do the planning, those who give the orders in terms of uh, 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 battles and war and confrontation. Uh, I read about General Erwin Rommel. Some of you immediately know who that is. He was called the, the Desert Fox from World War II because of his great success uh, in the battles in uh, the desert. And then he ran into defeat, ultimately. Uh, It's said that the keys to that, to uh, confronting, controlling, ultimately uh, went uh, to the, the Allied command as they were basically able to, quote, get inside his head. Now, how did they do that? Well, apparently, he had written memoirs that were published. And they read and studied his memoirs. In doing so, they were able to, uh, to figure him out, to figure out why he did what he did, why he made various decisions that he would make. And ultimately, 
That was the key. They knew their enemy, and that led ultimately to the enemy's defeat. Uh, now, last week we began a brief series that I, I just explained, and I told you that this week we would be talking about the enemy. Here's what we need to understand, though. We are not called to become Satanologists, to get fascinated by him. That's a dangerous direction to go as well. And yet, the Word of God tells us much. And that's where we are safe. And that is understanding what God wants us to know about the enemy. So let's take a look. Uh, first of all, I want to remind you where, where we went last week, just looking at the umbrella verse, our, our verse of the year. But uh, particularly in terms of verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We talked about the devil and of Satan. And here are some of the things that we, uh, just by way of re review. First of all, he is real. He's not just a, a thought, not just a force. Uh, he is not the evil equal to God. So it's not as though they are equals and uh, we're rooting for the good one and hope that he defeats the evil one. He cannot stand against God. He does not compare to him. Thirdly, he's the author of schemes, the devil is. Wiles, methods. Ephesians 4.14 talks about deceitful schemes. We'll talk about those in a minute. And he is uh, fourthly at war against us, whether we acknowledge it or not. We need to acknowledge it. We need to recognize that's the case. Now, all of those things, the application last week and every week is, is going to be that we understand those things. It should not drive us to fear, but instead should drive us to Christ because that's our hope. That's the only way we can stand up. To the evil one. If we try to defend ourselves in our own strength, we will be routed. We will lose every battle, every confrontation. We cannot stand in our own strength. We absolutely need the strength of the one who defeats him every single time, and that is Christ. And we need the armor that he designed for us that never fails us. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week and the week after. We're going to look at the armor uh, in, in the next two weeks. So the second thing about the enemy is he's not flesh and blood. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now that's not to say that uh, everything that goes on is in the heavenlies and that there isn't anything in this earth that we have to wrestle with, there is. There's a, there are a great number of things in the physical. Paul just wants us to recognize there's something else going on that we don't see. But I'm afraid that if we took a survey, not just with this group or our church or all the churches, or, uh, but if we took a survey out in our, our country, our world, um, and, and said, what are your greatest concerns? 
What are the greatest challenges right now? Well, we, we would have a, a number of common things. This isn't in necessarily any, any uh, order of priority, but of course COVID would be one. Uh, racial issues, uh, the economy for some, the government, what's going on in Washington. Now stop thinking about that and let's get back to the, the sermon. China for some, Russia for some, and then on the personal level, you might even be saying, yeah, those are all big deals, but look, I've got, a, I've got my own physical issues that I'm, I'm dealing with. Uh, or you may say, my marriage, my children, my job, my income, my savings, my retirement funds. If you're in school, maybe, maybe you're thinking of things that you're, you're missing because of what's going on, or, or maybe the big challenge for you is, where am I going to go to college next year? What am I going to do with my life? Now, everything that I just mentioned, these are all big things. They are all temporal things. And what I mean by that is that they're, they're physical things that we face, we see them, we can all acknowledge that those are challenges to one degree or another. And that list, by the way, could go on and on. But temporal also means temporary. They don't... They don't continue forever. So all of these are very real challenges that we have to deal with. But Paul is warning the Ephesians and warning us that there's something else going on. And it's something that, that he wants to tell us about because it's not something we see like all of these other challenges. It's not something that we would read about in the newspaper and it's awfully easy for us to forget about it because we don't see what's going on in terms of the battle around us. So in terms of the schemes, verse 11 talks about the schemes of the devil. Verse 12 says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's just what we've been talking about but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is saying there's a battle going on around us right now. A number of years ago, uh, Frank Peretti wrote a series of books about spiritual warfare. They were novels, but based on uh, scripture that he had read like we have before us. Uh, the first one became a bestseller. It was called This Present Darkness. That phrase comes from this passage. And because it was a bestseller, a number of people in the church I was serving uh, read it, and uh, they started asking me questions about it. I said, oh, okay, I'll read it, um, you know, so I could answer questions and so on. And it's a, it was a, a good read. Uh, you know, I'll say right up front in case any of you have that book or you go back and, and read it. There's a number of theological things in there that I would take issue with. Uh, but 
that's okay. It's a novel. And uh, I would never tell you not to read something because you're concerned about, you know, disagreeing with theological issues. Here's what I would say. Don't get your theology from novels. (laughs) And you're okay if that's the case. You can read anything. Get your theology from the Word of God. But here's what he did so well, and it it helped me, and I think it helped uh, others uh, to recognize this. With words, he painted a picture of what's going on around us all the time. That there is a spiritual battle going on, there is spiritual warfare going on all around us, and we just don't see it but we are being protected, we who are believers, by the armies of God. But Satan and his armies are relentless. That's a good reminder that there is a spiritual realm that we do not see, but is just as real as anything that we do see. And God tells us, about that. So let's take a look at uh, what Satan does. Um, I, I, as I was trying to figure out how to, how to do this sermon, uh, at, at first I was going to use a whole point and talk about the various attributes of, of Satan because there's so many things in the scripture that, that he does. And then I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to give you something way simpler than that. And I'm not opposed to, as you go through Scripture or through a book, of you noticing uh, his attributes. But here's the easy way to understand the enemy in this way. Study the attributes of God and think the opposite. Because that will tell you what Satan is like. If God is perfectly holy, Satan is perfectly unholy, just by way of example. But there is one attribute that I do want to to tell you, because it's, I think, the overriding one of not just what he does, but who he is, and that is Satan lies. He is a liar. Jesus said in John 8, 44, speaking to those he knew to be following the ways of the evil one, you are of your father the devil and and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. That's who he is. He's a liar. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He has his schemes. Uh, One day this week, I was uh, standing at my computer, and it was in the morning, and I saw an email pop up from Amazon.com. And uh, it was clearly in my mind from them. Uh, I had the logo there at the top. 
And uh, this is what it said right under the logo. Uh, Thank you. Hi, Ron Martin. Thank you for your purchase from Amazon.com. Underneath that was the order number. It it was 14 letters and numbers and and so on. And uh, then it said, parentheses, please keep a copy of this receipt for your records. And then it told about a 55-inch TV uh, that would be delivered uh, and where it would be delivered in Phoenix, Arizona for $985. So the first thing I did was I called Connie to make sure she had not <laughs> ordered a TV for Ron Martin in Phoenix, Arizona. She said she didn't. I believe her completely. She did not. And, uh, and then... I went back to the email, I thought, well, i got to take care of this. So I went down to uh, the customer help desk uh, number, and I called that number, and it was busy. Now, finally, I began to get suspicious, because I, I thought to myself, I've never called any of these where they didn't just put you in a loop and you were stuck there and listening to music and, and so on or talking to a computer, all of that kind of thing. It was busy. So uh, I went to our um, account and Connie was doing the same thing at home. Both of us saw that it was, uh, you know, had not been ordered and it was not going to be delivered, and so on. But I was, if it had not been busy, the next step would have been, I would have been saying, well, let me see what my um, credit card number is. Yes, this is it. And oh, you want my password? Okay, just to confirm, you know. Uh, I was that close uh, because I was naive. Now, you're not naive now either, so don't, don't do that. But I, I'm working on this sermon, and I had to ask myself, how did I get taken so far down that road to where I almost did something that could have been really destructive uh, if, if, I hadn't, uh, if the line hadn't been busy, which I thanked the Lord that it was busy for that protection. Well, here's how I think that happened. And I'm not excusing myself, but here's how I think that happened. Uh, they had the, you had the, the familiar logo, and it was the real logo. It wasn't a, a fake one. Now, I looked back at the uh, email address, and it was Amazon spelled without an O in it, which that's a clue, too. Uh, but I hadn't noticed that before. I typically wouldn't look at that. So you had the logo, which made me think. It was also something very familiar. We've gotten, I don't know how many of those kind of emails during Christmas as we were making orders on Amazon and so on. So it was not at all unusual, except that it said, hi, Ron Martin, and and so on. Uh, Or that there would be a customer help line there. And there was nothing to me suspicious uh, about that. And so uh, all of those things, it it looked innocent, and I kind of followed it down that line. Now, I'm working on this message, and I thought, well, how how parallel? I'm not saying that 
that email was from Satan, but how parallel of the way the evil one works. He, he loves to take something that's true, the logo. He loves to tell you truths in order to then tell you a lie. He loves to make things look innocent in order to bring about the destructive temptation. He is a liar at every point. And so he will disguise that which is destructive by making it look innocent. That's our caution, knowing the enemy. Uh, a question might be, when, when, is, he li- when is he likely to attack? Uh, William Gurnall wrote... Uh, a book, which is several books, uh, but it's 1,200 pages, uh, uh, the, Christian's complete, the Christian in complete armor. Um, someone said that he wrote more about this passage before us. He wrote more words about it than anyone in human history has ever written about this one passage, and that's what it's about. Now, I did not read the book this week. I want to tell you that right up front. I'm indebted to James Montgomery Boyce, who pulled these points out of Gurnall's uh, book, and because uh, I think they're just so practical in terms of how Satan, when he likes to attack. First of all, when the Christian is newly converted. When a Christian is newly converted, Here's how he puts it, just to give you a flavor. He says, Can Christ be in thou heart, and thou not know it? Can one king be dethroned, and another crowned in thy soul, and thou hear no scuffle? Do you get it? He's saying, wait, you know, if you, if you profess your faith in Christ, Satan's been dethroned. He was on the throne there. Do you think you won't hear that battle going on? Of course, he says, this is a time he would attack. So for the new Christian, for the, the person who is, is newly professed their faith in Christ, it could be doubts, often shortly after they profess their faith. Satan will lie to them. Or when the new Christian sins, Satan perhaps would say, you can't be a Christian and act like that. Do you see how he would lie? Where's your God now? Any number of ways he can attack, saying you must not really be a Christian. A second way that Satan loves to attack is when the Christian experiences affliction. He wants us to think in those, those difficult times that God has abandoned us. Either he's gone, he's not here with you, or he doesn't care, or even if he cares, he can't do anything to help you. And so know that if you're experiencing affliction, Satan loves to attack during that time. 
Thirdly, when the Christian has had some spiritual success. Remember Peter? Peter uh, says, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He professes Christ, that, that amazing confession of faith. And then, right after that, he tries to convince Jesus his death isn't necessary. And what's Jesus' response? Get thee behind me, Satan. There's the attack right after this spiritual high. Now, obviously, I, I have a number of friends who are, are pastors, and everyone that I know would tell you that, that one of the days where there tends to be a great deal of discouragement is uh, on Monday Monday morning particularly. They always joke about how many have resigned on Monday, you know. Um, and so think of the dynamic of that. Of that. You have, you know, the, the wonderful fellowship and everything of Sunday, and then Monday comes. And uh, when I was in Pennsylvania uh, serving a church there, at that time Monday was a big day that a lot of pastors took off, including me. And uh, one week, I got invited to play golf with a group of pastors uh, that played every Monday morning, first thing, Monday morning. And, and I'm not much of a golfer, but I thought, well, you know, that could be fun. Uh, uh, Connie was fine with it, so uh, I went out, met him at the golf course, and so on. And on the first hole, there was uh, some water there uh, to, to hit over. And uh, now, when there's water, I always use old balls because I, I know what's going to happen. Um, but uh, there's the water there, uh, and one of the pastors teed off, and the ball went plunk right in the water. And I'm kind of chuckling to myself because I'm thinking, I'm probably going to do that too. Uh, but before I could even finish chuckling to myself, I saw that same pastor take his driver and throw it, and it actually went farther into the lake than his ball went. <laughs> By the time I finished playing golf that day with them, I said, I will never play golf with pastors on Monday morning <laughs> again. But I think that's simply the dynamic. It wasn't that they were evil people, but I, I, I think that's the dynamic that we we see here after a spiritual high. Be careful. Just know that Satan loves to swoop in at that point. Another time is when Christian is, a Christian is idle. Think of King David uh, staying home from battle, lounging on his rooftop instead of uh, being with his troops, and that's when he got into adulterous trouble with Bathsheba because of his idleness. He also loves to attack, Satan does, when the Christian is isolated from other believers. If you grill out and you, you still like to do it with charcoal, you know exactly where this illustration will go, where you, you build up the charcoal and you get it good and, and hot and uh, before you, you spread it out. But if you, if you walk away from that and one of the pieces kind of falls off to the side, it'll be cold in no time. That's kind of the nature 
with believers. When they are isolated, it's easier to get cold. Now think of that, especially now in the time of COVID. How isolated so many are feeling. And if you're feeling isolated, uh, I, would, I would encourage you to ask God, who should I call? Who's, who, let, tell me, Lord, who, who should I call? And pick up the phone and call. If you haven't gotten a call, pick up the phone and call someone else. And, and you'll be blessed in two ways. That person will be encouraged, and so will you. But isolation for the believer is not the way the church is designed, and that makes it a dangerous place to be. Another time Satan loves to attack is when the Christian is nearing death. We can see this in, uh, even in the biographies of some, some wonderful saints of the Lord now, some of them, we have these great things they said at the end of their life, but, but there are others that, that struggle with doubts, struggled with, with thoughts and so on in those last hours. And that's because that's when Satan loves to... It's his last chance, isn't it? His last chance to try something. And so when you are praying for for those who are getting near their big day. Remember that. Pray for that as well. That God would protect them during this time from the evil one. This is war. We must be prepared. We need to know the enemy, but we don't have to be afraid. We know the outcome. And we have an armor that is not going to fail. I don't think there's a a hymn that speaks more specifically about spiritual warfare uh, or the devil than the one we are about to sing that you can see on page 10 of the worship guide, A Mighty Fortress by Martin Luther. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark. That's that part of the fortress that, uh, that they would try to lay siege against. And his, he is a bulwark, never failing. He can't be overwhelmed. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, that's Satan, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. The first stanza ends there. So if you're ever doing a hymn sing, don't say, let's sing the first stanza only of a mighty fortress. Because at that point, Satan's ahead, okay? He's okay at this point. So you got to sing the whole thing. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth. That means the Lord of hosts. 
the Lord of the armies. That's his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle, not because we're hoping he will, but because he cannot lose it because of who he is. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his triumph, his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And then the next stanza begins, that word above all earthly powers. What's the little word? Some uh, interpret that as, well, he's talking about Christ. Christ is the word. Or he's talking about the word of God because that's the word, or the two of them combined, and, and those are, are good guesses, but my problem with that, and I don't know what Luther meant, but my problem is, why would he call that the little word? That seems so small. Why would he describe Christ or the word of God that way? I know how Luther felt about it. Mark Rattray and I mulled this around this week uh, uh, in thinking it through. This uh, hymn that he wrote is his version of Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, there is a phrase, he utters his voice and the earth melts. He utters his voice. Not that he shouts and the earth melts. Not that he even commands. He utters it. Think about that and his word and the power of his word. He spoke the universe into existence by the word of his power. Psalm 46 says if he wanted to, he could melt that same universe by just uttering a word. That little word is Jesus saying, that's all. Enough. It's over, Satan. It will not take away from his power. He can utter it. And that will be the end of Satan and his demons. We are in a war. Which side will you choose? Choose to go with the one who can utter the word that will end the war, because his kingdom is forever. Let's pray. Lord of hosts, Lord of the armies, we thank you and we praise you 
that though there is a vicious battle going on around us, that one, one little word will stop it when it's time. And so, Lord, help us to find our rest in you. Help us to hide in you so that in that way we will be strong in the strength of your might. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.